Thank you for joining us for the Lessons from First Naz podcast. We've been, uh, we've been learning about the Holy Spirit this fall. Has it been a good journey for you? I, I am hearing more from you in response to this series of lessons and messages than any other that I have preached in all the years that I have been your pastor. So that leads me to believe that you all are getting to know this God we've been guessing about, the Holy Spirit. You're getting to know him better than you've ever known him before. But here's the thing. We are not training you to win a trivia contest. Life is not about knowing more about God. It's about knowing God more. You get me? It's not about having more facts in your head whereby you can win arguments about God. It's about knowing him in such such great depth and intimacy that you can sing things like we sang earlier with all of your heart. I am his and he is mine. Yeah, and so the, the series of lessons has really been about the, the God that you can know. Because here's the way this works. If you read the scriptures, uh, and I think I've read them correctly, the, the scriptures paint the picture that God, the Heavenly Father, is seated on his throne. He is there uh, ruling the universe, and one day the scriptures teach us we'll, we'll judge the universe. But for now, he's, he's patient not wanting any to be lost. Well, what's he doing while he's being patient? He sent his son Jesus to come and, and live in ways that we can all recognize as right and healthy and therefore holy. He sent him also to die a selfless death as a sacrifice for all human sins so that anybody, anybody, everybody who dares to believe that Jesus was, in fact, God come in the flesh, the, the, the atoning sacrifice for every wrong thing you've ever done, and we'll just look at God and say, I want that, and I want you. God will take it seriously and begin a relationship with you. But how does the relationship happen? If, if God and Jesus are there, wherever there is, how does the relationship happen? The scriptures teach us that God and Jesus sent then the Holy Spirit to this world so that he could come and do life and relationship with us. And I know it sounds a little bit spooky and mysterious, but the scriptures actually paint the picture for us that you can invite the spirit of the living God to come and live inside of you and with you. Not in that freaky um, possession kind of way in, in movies that you've seen about demons, devils, and so forth, but in a real authentic relationship, the Spirit of God and your spirit can go somewhere together and learn to do life as the closest of friends. That's the whole point of this Holy Spirit series that we've been working on together through the fall. Last week, we we kind of took a look at how it is that every relationship in your life can get a serious upgrade, and the way that that can happen. Every relationship in your life, no matter how many dozens or, or for some of you, hundreds of relationships you may have, every relationship in your life can get an upgrade if you get an upgrade. If you get an upgrade on your nature and your character. And so we took a look at the the gifts of the Holy Spirit. That is, the the, the kind of things that he's hoping to accomplish in your life. And as we we read down through all of those gifts of the Spirit, or sorry, all those fruit of the Spirit, there were nine of them. We we stopped and and listened and asked God, is is there one thing that between now and the end of the year you'd like to, to bring to ripe fruition? In my life. 
How many of you found that this week was a really bad week to start on developing self-control by the help of the Holy Spirit? Man. Instead of self-control, I said, yes, Laura, I would like two more pieces of pie. It was not a good... We, self-control was a thing. Pray for me. I had Thanksgiving instead. So the, um, the work of God's Holy Spirit in my life on self-control begins now. Okay? Yeah. Well, you see, here's the reality is that, is that human nature, broken and fallen as it is, is pretty hard on relationship, pretty hard on other people, and that's why he sends his Holy Spirit to come in and change our nature, to really change us fundamentally on the inside so that our character then changes, and when those two things happen, then every relationship in your life can get a serious upgrade. Well, the Holy Spirit wants to come and do those things, uh, those nine things that we call the fruit of the Spirit to upgrade relationships in your life. The Holy Spirit is uh, partnering with God the, the Father and God the Son as well to equip you to be able to work for him in this world in ways that are deeply fulfilling for you and highly effective for the sake of the kingdom. So today, we're going to take a look at what are called the gifts of the Spirit, or spiritual gifts. We're going to, you've heard about them already, as Steve and the ladies read to us a little earlier. What you're going to find, though, is this, that where every person, every person gets the fruit of the Spirit, all nine of them, as Reagan read to us, these gifts, the Holy Spirit who knows you, who wants to know you more, more fully, deeper, more intimately, also has a unique package of abilities from God the Father designed specifically for you so that you fit perfectly into the body of Christ and then can begin to work with other well-equipped and outfitted people to build the kingdom of God in this world. You've prayed many times, right, for things that you wanted to see God do Jesus himself, when when he was teaching his first followers how to pray, he had a prayer request. His prayer request was to the Father, may your kingdom come, and may your will be done on earth just like it is in heaven. The plan for Jesus' prayer being answered is for you to seek and to receive the gifts of God's Holy Spirit and then begin to practice them, let them have some air and some breath and some some wind and, and turn them loose within the body of Christ. And in so doing, you will build the kingdom of God. With all of his majesty and all of his power, God would have the ability to snuff out the enemies of God, to establish whatever he wanted to establish, to tear down whatever he wanted to tear down. But he's chosen instead to work through human beings. But now get this, because this is important. When it comes to building his kingdom, God does not plan to take you and your natural abilities and talents and say, well, let's see what we can get. Because you've recognized, right, that your abilities are incomplete and failing as time goes by. I mean, here's a little confession. I like to think I'm a tough guy. Uh, Yesterday, I found a hill that was tougher than me. It wasn't three years ago. I climbed it three years ago with a full pack on my back and a rifle in my hand. And I looked at that thing and I said, I'm going up there. It was a fantastic hunt. I walked all the way to the top. I walked across the top, found a canyon on the back side of it. Thought better about going down in there, turned around, came back, and then had the worst afternoon of my life coming down off of this ridiculous mountain. 
I, I got to the, I didn't know if I was going to get there. I thought I might have to spend the night halfway down the hill, but I got there. Man, I felt like a man. Yesterday, I did not feel like that. <laughs> I got started up. I told Laura before I left the house, I said, man, I'm really tired today. I'm not going to take a pack. That's, Laura, the next time that I say, I'm not taking a pack, don't let me go. Do not let me go because I have everything that I need in there to spend the night. And I wondered at one point yesterday. I got about a third of the way up that hill and I just realized I, 47-year-old Cliff doesn't have the legs that 44-year-old Cliff had. Doggone it. Doesn't have the lungs that 44-year-old Cliff had. And he did not have the determination that 44-year-old Cliff had. So I thought the top of of that hill looks pretty good from here. And I turned around and I stumbled down off the hill. You see, my physical abilities, over time, they're just going to fade. 48-year-old Cliff, there's not much chance that he's going to be better than, than 47. And so, why would I take what's falling apart before me, my own fleshly abilities and strengths, try to use those to build something supernatural? See, the tools of the flesh cannot produce otherworldly kind of results. The, the, the natural gifts and, and, and talents can't produce supernatural results. And so God has not left his church to try to build his kingdom with merely the tools of the flesh. He's given us his Holy Spirit who says, I'm going to do some things to your character over here, but in this part of your life, I'm going to super equip you with abilities that you did not have prior to the moment of your conversion and watch what you and I and your other fellow believers can do in the name of Jesus in building his kingdom in this world. And I'm here to tell you that as I look at the church in America today, I think we've done a lot of building with the tools of the flesh. And it's why the church is in the shape that it's in today. But it also means that we stand on the threshold of a very incredible time in the history of the church when the church has finally come to the end of its fleshly self and will turn to God and say, why don't you you set your spirit loose in me, on me, and through me, and let's build the kingdom of God here on earth by the power of the Holy Spirit. And he won't do it without you. He's not just going to snap his fingers and say, all right, Holy Spirit, work around all the people. He chooses instead to work through those of us who will invite him to come in and do his work among us. So I'm going to learn a handful of things today about the, the gifts of the Spirit. Then we're going to take a look at a, at a handful of them that we need to pay close attention to. And then I'm just going to set you and God's Holy Spirit free to go do whatever it is that the Holy Spirit is doing inside of you, I think you'll recognize his work. handful of principles that you first need to know about. Number one, we believers belong to each other. Uh, Steve, you read the Romans passage, right? Steve read the Romans passage to us, and if you look at Romans chapter 12, verse 5, it says, I'll back up to verse 4, just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. And then it says, we are many parts of one body and we all belong 
to each other. Hey, listen, Americans, get rid of your foolish independence notions when it comes to spiritual matters. We may be politically independent of other nations in this world and be grateful for that, but independence is a political reality. It is not a spiritual truth to live your life by. You meant to say amen there because it's the truth. Independence was not God's idea for your spiritual life. He wants you and I to belong to one another and to function like we belong to one another. Not like we are some loose-fitted association, not a confederation of people who maintain their independence but agree to uh, a shared cause. He said we are a body, and a body means, well, this, right? Tell me how well it goes. I think I was your pastor for like three weeks the first time that I talked to you about this. And I brought K.J. Getman up here, and I had a a great big stump up here. I also had a machete hidden over there. And so I had K.J. come up here and lay his arm down on the stump. And I went and got the machete, and I said, we can do one of two things. We can either admit what we already know, or we can do a little experiment and learn from it next week. We can either confess that we know full well that if I amputate that arm, neither KJ nor the arm is going to do very well for the next week. And by the way, pick the arm up, throw it in the trash, because it'll never live again. Or we could run the little experiment and see how it goes. We could admit it. We know this. We know that any time something is cut off from the body, both the body and the thing that are cut off suffer. Right? I mean... I, don't, I, I can go get the machete if you need. We know this. Nod your heads like this. We know this to be the truth. And this passage teaches us that we belong to one another, so we need to stay connected to one another. And in the business of staying connected to one another, we will become aware of one another's needs and desires, and we'll be aware of, of our own ability to then serve the needs and meet the desires of others in the body. You remember the definition of love? We've talked about it a lot. It's a demonstrated preference for the well-being of others over and above myself, even at great personal expense by the help of the Holy Spirit. How can you love? How can you demonstrate a preference for the well-being of the other members of the body if you're not even connected to them enough to know what their needs and desires are? You can't. Love can't happen from a distance. It only happens among those who are connected, really connected. And so we learn from Romans chapter 12. Before we start learning about the abilities, before we find out what kind of magic it is that God's Holy Spirit is going to work in me and through me, he wants to make sure that I understand something else very, very clearly first because it will determine the way that I practice those gifts. He needs me to know that I belong to you. And you belong to me. And you belong to the person you're sitting next to and the person that you don't want to be sitting next to. If you are in the body of Christ, we belong to each other. That's good news, by the way. It's very good news. Principle number one, we belong to each other. Okay? Hang on to that. That's Romans chapter 12, verse 5. Principle number two is this. The gifts that are given to us were given so that we could help others not ourselves. Get this, because at Christmas, you're going to get gifts, and they're for you. Laurel wrap something up, put it under the tree, and when I unwrap it, I get to keep it. I get to use it for Cliff's pleasure and enjoyment. I've got a long list, dear. You want to know what those are? 
in the body of Christ, the gifts that are given to us are not for our own pleasure or our own well-being. They are given to us primarily for others. Now, why doesn't God just do what's efficient? I mean, if, if Jay has a need, why doesn't God just give him the gift that meets his need? It's because he wants to make sure that Jay and I stay connected to one another. So he gives what Jay needs to me, and I, in relationship with Jay, can then deliver to him what he needs. Work that out times infinity, or however many people there are in the kingdom of God. And understand that efficiency was never God's dream. Community was God's dream. People belonging to one another, sharing life together. And that's why he gives the gifts that Dina needs to Glenna, and the gifts that Glenna needs to Ray, and so on and so forth. We belong to each other. We also have to remember that the, the gifts are given to help others. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7 says it very, very plainly. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If your teacher, teach well. It, that's not what I was looking at. Well, it says it there somewhere, okay? <laughs> I won't come up with a reference real quick. Third principle is this. The Holy Spirit gets to decide the gifts. Kind of covered that earlier, but understand that in the, this is probably an important word at this stage in, in the American church. Because of the prevalence of, um, on the airwaves, both television and all the kinds, uh, all the ways that, that mass media does its thing today, there's one arm of the American church that captures more time and attention than any other. They are authentic Christians. They are, they are part of the, the body of Christ. There are brothers and sisters. It's the Pentecostal and charismatic uh, movement. And it's very popular in the teachings of that movement to say, why don't you seek certain gifts? And it's why I thought it was important not to, not to tear down our brothers and sisters, but to just help you understand because you've, you've heard it on television, you've heard it on the radio, and you've heard it on podcasts that there's a gift in particular that God wants everybody to have. And if you don't have it, you've, you know, it's a faith problem for you or you just haven't sought it long enough. Understand that's not true. What Reagan read to us from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 11 is... I'm in, I was reading in Romans. That's why that didn't work very well for me. Sorry, guys. <laughs> Let's look at uh, chapter 12, verse 7, back up. A spiritual gift is given to each one of us so we can help each other. There's where that came from. Next, verse 11. It is the one and only Spirit who distributes all these gifts. He alone decides which gift each person should have. Now, you'll find as you read, uh, as you read Paul on through Corinthians, he says it's okay to seek gifts. Just understand that you seek, but the Holy Spirit decides. You can set your fancy on something. You can desire some great ability. You can carry that request to God, and he will consider it. But it is the Holy Spirit who ultimately will decide. He is not simply your cosmic Santa Claus to give you everything you ever wanted. Instead, the Holy Spirit who knows exactly what the body of Christ needs, what this local body of Christ needs, will say, mm, this gift for Christian, this gift for Brenda, different gift for Terry, for Norma, okay? You can seek them, but ultimately we submit to this Holy Spirit who decides which gifts are given to us. I need to, t- uh, to flip over to First uh, Peter for the fourth principle that I want to teach you. It's First Peter chapter 4, verse 11. Um, 
I'll back up and read verse 10. God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. Do you have the gift of speaking? Then speak as though God himself were speaking through you. You have the gift of helping others? Do it with all the strength and energy that God supplies. Then everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. Okay? He talked about all these spiritual gifts, this incredible stuff that happens literally by the power of God in this world. But he says, make sure that you understand that the end goal of this is not that you look awesome. It's that God's glory gets to be seen. That God gets all of the public pat on the back, all of the acclamation, all of the recognition for his majestic goodness. And that people in the end look right past all of us practitioners of the gifts of the spirit and see a God who is exalted and majestic and worthy of being praised. And they find their hearts humbled and drawn toward him. The gifts were not given to make us look good. They weren't given so that we could work our way through the ranks of the church. The gifts were given so that the people of God might make God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit look majestic and beautiful and good. In the way that your friends talk about the church, you think, You think maybe God could use a little bit of a reputation renovation in America? Yeah. They they see the institution with its failings and its frailties and its weaknesses. They see the institution, admittedly, with its corruption and sin. And these things block the view of the glory of God. But when we, when we move past those things, folks, listen, when, when the church of Jesus Christ begins to, to welcome what he has given us in his Holy Spirit, we quit making excuses for sin that we tolerate in ourselves. We're not talking about judging other people. But when the church quits making, we collectively quit making excuses for the sin that we tolerate in ourselves and we let God's Holy Spirit cleanse us, then his spirit can begin to function in us in ways that pull aside the curtains and let the world see God as the glorious being that he is. Name of the last book in the Bible is what? Revelation, that's right. That word uh, has come to mean all kinds of things to people. Um, And and when you use it in reference to that book of the Bible, it's largely just has these scary connotations to it. I've told you this before. It's really a Greek word from the theater, not the movie theater because they didn't have one in ancient Greece. It was where actors got on the stage and, and did what they did. And just like in the theater today, there was a curtain that obscured what was backstage from the audience. They would gather and they would wait in anticipation of what they were about to see. They knew that their neighbors and their friends had been at work constructing the, the sets and, and making costumes and memorizing lines. And, and everybody's waiting for that moment when the lights come down and the curtain is drawn aside and there's a ta-da! In this case, revelation means the drawing aside of all the garbage all the human fallen garbage that has obscured our view of God. 
because you don't have to make him look good. You just got to get out of the way, get the sinful tarnish and so forth out of the way and let his Holy Spirit now go to work in you, on you, and through you. And you who were made in the image of God will suddenly be the revelation of the glory of God. You should get excited about that because it's awesome. We believers belong to each other. The gifts were given to help others, not to help ourselves. The Holy Spirit gets to decide how the gifts were distributed. The gifts are given to make God look good. And then principle number five is just this. You weren't saved to sit, but to serve. You weren't saved to sit, but to serve. It's just not right to make yourself a part of a local church and take everything that's given and not bring something to the table. Your amen was implied, I know, but you get it, right? You get this, right? Look, I'm, I need to just say this as bluntly as I feel it. Cliff Purcell has no business sucking the life out of the vine without sharing that life with other people who need it, okay? So my place in the body of Christ is to, t- is to receive his Holy Spirit, learn from the pages of Scripture about what he can and desires to do in my life, empty myself, open myself before him and say, you decide what you want to do in me and through me. And once I get a handle on that, I I just say, Holy Spirit, keep coming and let's do this. And I let him flow through me and it will be to the betterment of the church. Now listen, we are called to serve. The church is called to serve the world around us with believable signs of God's love. But these gifts of the Spirit, they are given primarily for ministry to one another within the body. It's why this whole, this, this whole discussion was, was, was placed contextually in a broader discussion in Romans and Corinthians about life in the body of Christ. Have you noticed that the church needs help? I mean, the church needs help. You've noticed, right? There's gaps in what we do. There, there's holes. There's weaknesses. There's old bad habits. There's things that we haven't improved in years and years, and I'm not talking about the building. You've noticed, right? Do you know what God's plan is for fixing that? It's you. It's you and God's Holy Spirit together. You receiving the gifts and saying, well, then let's, let's see how my brothers and sisters can benefit from what the Holy Spirit does in me. All right, enough principles. You want to look at the gifts? Let's look at the gifts, and let's see what it is that the Holy Spirit's going to do. Uh, Show me these first ones. Okay, we're going to look at two lists of gifts. We're going to look at ecstatic gifts, and we're going to look at service gifts. And understand that what I've put before you will be a very abbreviated list of the gifts. Okay? uh, I haven't mined all of the scriptures for a comprehensive list. Pardon me. You can do that. You should also understand that the scriptures don't seem to tell us there's a fixed set of gifts. There are no more than what are listed in the Bible. So if you think, as we study these things, huh, I don't have any of those gifts. I must be the exception of the rule. I don't have any gifts. Not true. Understand that the the God who created this universe, he's a rather imaginative and creative being. 
He has a plan and a gift for you. If you can't find it, you come see me. That's why you have pastors, by the way. It's one of the reasons you have pastors is to help you form spiritually, and we will help you discover God's gifts. But let's take a look at these gifts first. Roughly speaking, the gifts of the Spirit fall into two categories, the service gifts and the ecstatic gifts. And the ecstatic, uh, by the way, those are just human labels. They're, they're not listed that way in Scripture. In the Scripture, they're just called gifts. Here's what we found out is that some of the things that the Holy Spirit does seem very intensely practical. And there are those among us who say, now that's my kind of living. I like something practical. There are also some things that the Holy Spirit seeks to do that are full of wonder and mystery. And while you may participate in them, you will never fully understand them. And there are some people saying, now that's really living for me because I like the magic and I like the wonder and I like the mystery and I like to stand before God and ask questions there are no answers to. And other people are thinking, you're driving me nuts. (laughs) Just put some shoe leather on it, okay? By the way, it's not the practical gifts that people usually argue and fight about. None of the gifts, however, should be argued or fought about, right? Should we be fighting about the work that God the Holy Spirit wants to do among us? The answer is no. And yet, historically, um, these gifts, the ecstatic gifts, are ones that the Christians have used to malign one another, abuse one another, criticize one another, and divide from one another. It doesn't need to be. Let's take a look at them. In uh, no particular order, I'm just going to pick faith first. Okay, listen, if you're going to seek a gift, like Paul said in in one of those chapters, if you're going to seek a gift, I'm going to tell you, put faith high on the list. Some of you are worried, though. You're thinking, well, only some people get the gift of faith. Yep. Listen, everybody can have faith, okay? It takes faith for you to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. It takes faith for you to believe that, that his sinless death His sinless life and selfless death actually count for your purification. It takes faith to believe that he was resurrected from the dead because it doesn't happen at all among other people. It takes faith. But Paul lists faith, a gift of faith, as as though there's something above and beyond the ordinary ability of Christ followers to trust God to do great things. Do you know somebody like that? Man, I know some people like that. There's a handful of people that I have on speed dial because they have the gift of faith. And when I'm over here worried about something, I'm over here trembling and shaking and doubting. I just, I got a handful of people that I call and say, I need you to pray about this because I know that their trust of God is so much greater than mine that they will pray without the impediments of doubt, worry, and fear. I like to put it this way. I don't intend it with any disrespect, but they're the kind of people who grab God by the collar, drag him out of heaven and say, let's go do something. Laura's mom's one of those people that I know if Bridget starts praying, God says, oh, sure, let's go do it. And she already believes that. She already believes he's going to say yes. The gift of faith. Why don't you seek it? 
How about prophecy? We've been talking about the prophets over uh, the last uh, few weeks, and don't seek to be weird. The world has enough weird already, right? And the prophets are these weird people whose lives sometimes didn't make sense to us. But when we saw that they were full of God's Holy Spirit and beginning to function under his power, they were able, remember their first job? First job wasn't to foretell the future. Their first job was to foretell the truth, to speak the truth about sin and calling people to come to God. I would caution you as you seek the gift of prophecy to make sure that you don't take delight in talking about other people's sin. When you do that, you're not functioning by the gifting of the Holy Spirit. If you take joy in pointing out other people's sin, there is a gift, uh, a function of the gift uh, of prophecy in the life of people that does point out sin publicly, but it almost always is a greater heartbreak to the prophet than to the person who's hearing it. Okay? Prophecy is the ability to tell the truth, to speak it plainly uh, in, in public hearing. There is a place for prophecy, properly so called in the New Testament church today. Amen? Okay. Uh, The prophet, remember, could also tell some things about the future, what might happen if people didn't turn back to God. And remember, the prophets also were constantly saying, yeah, I know, this message will largely go unheeded, so God's going to come for you. But that was uh, never the lookout, God's coming for you. It was God's coming for you, the message of Messiah. Now let's tackle the big, the big difficult ones, okay? Speaking in unknown tongues and the interpretation of tongues. This is the one, uh, most of the time when prophecy happens and somebody says, I think I, have, I think I have a gift of prophecy in America, people look at them and say, we have a word for that, mental illness. And we dismiss it largely. So we don't fight a lot about prophecy, but the church has fought way too much about speaking in unknown tongues and the interpretation of them. Real quick dirt dive into the scriptures, okay? When the Holy Spirit was given uh, to everybody on the day of Pentecost, we've been working our way through, through the Old Testament where he, sh- he showed up once in a great while on rare and in rare individuals. But on the day of Pentecost, he was given to everybody, Acts chapter 2, those people came out of there, and it says they, my King James upbringing is the only way I can remember it, and they spoke in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. There's this idea that some people filled with God's Holy Spirit suddenly came and started speaking other languages. Now, in the case of, of Pentecost, they were not unknown languages in the sense of nobody knows them. They were languages not known to the people who were speaking them. They hadn't learned the language before. If you go to Acts chapter 2, I believe there's 15 different languages that are listed that those people spoke when filled with God's Holy Spirit. It was a, it was a known language, but had not been learned by the people who were speaking it. That's pretty miraculous. Listen, Church of the Nazarene has missionaries all over the world. Any decent missionary comes back with an unknown tongues story at some point about how God just gave somebody the ability to hear and understand and speak the language, okay? That's not what people fight about. Why? Because people don't fight about practical things. They fight about mystery. There also seems to be something in the New Testament, the Greek word glossolalia, which seems to be something else. What is it, Cliff? I don't know. But it's, it's, it's some sort of mysterious 
utterance. Paul talked about it in uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we read, we read from chapter 12 earlier. You should read 12, 13, and 14 this afternoon. Just read those three chapters all together. He starts talking about the spiritual gifts, including the ecstatic gifts. And right as he gets to the end of his catalog of gifts, he says, but if you don't have love, it doesn't matter which of these gifts you have because you'll use them for yourself and against others. And he spends extra time on the weird tongues gift because of how often it has been used and abused within the church. You get on to chapter 14, and Paul is so concerned with how this thing has been misunderstood and misused that he says, you know what, I wish you'd speak in tongues more than you do, but um, I wish you'd start speaking sense instead. He kind of, against the church in, in Corinth. In fact, he said to them, you'll probably never get this one right enough to use it in large groups in public. And so that, he says, don't do in Christian meetings. It's in chapter 14. You can look it up. Because you keep that between you and God. Because at best, you'll be wielding a mystery among people who cannot understand it. He said, at worst you will ideally have unbelievers with you every time you meet. And it'll freak them out. And quit freaking people out. <laughs> this is, it, it, it is frightening and misunderstood. So don't confuse people. These gifts weren't given to confuse people. So suffice it to say, there's a tongues gift that is known languages spoken by pe- understood by people who don't, uh, haven't learned them. There's also this unknown thing that, where Paul said, you, where your spirit speaks to God. I've, I've asked him for it many times, sought, you know, seeking gifts. I sought gifts. Then I read this that said that wasn't one of the gifts that you should really be seeking. Just let the Holy Spirit decide. Okay. Interpretation. He does say if somehow you, you, it happens that you're going to speak in this unknown thing in the midst of the congregation, you better make sure that there's someone there who also has the gift of interpretation so that what the Holy Spirit says to the church isn't lost, misunderstood, or abused. Laura grew up in a church that is an independent, charismatic church. I've worshipped there a hundred times. Every time there will be someone who speaks in tongues. Every time there will also be an interpretation. They just wait. Somebody speaks, they just wait until the Holy Spirit gives understanding. Okay, let's take a look at them. We've got the uh, we've got speaking in unknown tongues and the interpretation, prophecy, and faith. Gifts given by God to His church so that it might be built up in the faith. How sad is the heart of God that His people have instead broken the body into several different disjointed pieces over disagreements over these things. How about, how about the Church of America repents of that? How about it starts at first NAS, huh? That no longer are we going to, are we going to turn our nose up at how other people understand the gifts of God? Okay? We will always be a group here that says we want what God has to give to his church, but we'll also practice it the way that he teaches in his word, right? Yeah. In that case, take a big deep breath, let it out, 
You don't have to be afraid of any of the gifts of the Spirit anymore because we will love one another and practice them as they're taught in the Scriptures. Let me just say this. If you think that the Holy Spirit may have given you one of these gifts, would you please come talk to me? I would love to stand before the mystery of God with you and learn how it is that you experience the work of his Holy Spirit. And I'd also just like to talk with you about the place of those gifts and how they might strengthen our local body. Okay, let's go to the next screen, Luke. Oh, boy, there's a whole lot more service gifts, practical gifts, than there are ecstatic ones. Wouldn't you know it, right? Um, A little bit of mystery goes a long way, apparently, and then there's some work to do. We're going to take a look at these gifts and understand that all these gifts are intended, first and foremost, to make the church of Jesus Christ a better version of itself, a more believable display of the love of God and of the glory of God. And you are uniquely outfitted with a package of these and maybe some of the ones from the other screen to play your part in establishing the kingdom of God right here among us. If we do this, you've got to understand, if we do this, we are going to look spectacular and we'll have two problems. Number one, have to chase people away because they'll be coming in droves to see the glory of God. And number two, we will have to check ourselves constantly that we don't get prideful and start receiving glory to ourselves for what rightly belongs to God. I think it's a risk worth taking. Let's take a look at them. Let's just start in the upper right-hand corner. Um, I don't even remember the order in which I I took these, but they came from those three passages that were read to us earlier. One of the gifts is teaching others. Now, Laura and I, being two different people, one would readily surmise from what I've taught thus far, we have different um, gifts that were given to us by the Holy Spirit. Laura, were you given the gift of teaching? No. No. But you lead women's Bible studies. How dare you? Here's the way that it works. She doesn't have a teaching gift. But she has a burden for women to know the word of God and see their lives transformed. So you know what she does? She, she researches and she orders materials, and she schedules a room, and she schedules a night, and she communicates with people, and she pushes play and let somebody else teach by video, because Laura doesn't teach. She'll then ask questions and let everybody else in the room discuss them, because teaching is not Laura's gift, and Laura will tell you that, and that does not cheapen her value in the kingdom of God. It's just that the Spirit decided not to give her that gift, but there are people in this congregation who have a teaching gift. You recognize it, right? Hey, I was gone uh, a few weeks ago, preaching a revival at the Church of the Nazarene in Emmett, Idaho. You people blew up my inbox. Pastor, you should have been here. You should have heard what Kaylee shared with us today. And I heard time and time and time again, I mean, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, about the message that she shared with us that day. What, what does that imply? A teaching gift right? Yeah. There are people within the congregation who don't have REV in front of their names who have teaching gifts. And some of you use those gifts out in the world, professional teachers. But remember, the first intent of your gift 
is for the body of Christ. So teachers, I'm just going to challenge you. I know you're tired of teaching at week's end, but your gifts first and foremost are for the body of Christ. And I want to I just ask you to consider whether you and the gift that the Holy Spirit has given you might have a function within the kingdom that's of even greater impact than when you're out there bearing testimony to him among those who don't believe. Teaching others. Um, encouraging others. Well, I, I put that one at the top of the page on purpose, probably. And it's because there's just this sore spot in my life right now. Because it's the, it's the one thing that tempts me most often to say, I am going to become a conscientious objector to social media. It's as I watch the church practice its many unchristlike unkindnesses toward one another and toward Christ's bride. Listen, Jesus thinks the bride is beautiful. If you don't, you need glasses. Jesus thinks she's amazing. And if you don't, you're wrong. Doesn't mean that the church is perfect. She's beautiful. And have you ever watched how somebody responds when you tell them they're beautiful or they're handsome? There'll either be a that happens, or they'll argue, no, I'm not, no, I'm not. But but it's all it's hit their heart, hasn't it? Encouraging others. Listen, the church of Jesus Christ needs to be encouraged. It will build us up in the most holy faith. Serving others. What, oh, man, what if I don't have that gift? Do I get out of serving? No, it's kind of like faith. <laughs> Everybody gets a little bit of it, and some people have this dramatic ability to serve. And you know how you can tell the people who have the serve gifts? They're the people who are always there doing it and smiling about it. Now, listen, every church has people who do it and grumble about it, Pray they get the gift of serving others. But the folks who serve, 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 and find it to be their heart's delight and joy, those are people who have been given the gift by God's Holy Spirit. Leading others. Laura, leading administration, depending on which translation you read, that's what I would say is the thing that you primarily practice in women's Bible studies, is that somebody who says, I can do that. Other, other of, of you are shrinking back and hiding, saying, don't make eye contact with Pastor Cliff when he mentions women's Bible study because, oh, I just couldn't lead it. Right, and others can by the power of the Spirit. Counseling others and giving good advice. Listen, we can tell that not everybody has the gift of counseling others, right? <laughs> Man, alive, the world's full of bad advice. Holy Spirit, come and gift somebody in this congregation with the ability to give wise and godly counsel. And if you can identify somebody who has that gift, make them your closest friend and run every one of your decisions past them. I I have a handful of folks in my life that I just know, if I ask them, they're going to tell me something that I hadn't thought of. It's because they've been given this gift, a unique insight. Helping others, uh, boy, that sounds rather ordinary. Let's come back to it. Um, showing, let's see, giving. Oh, yeah, that one almost hides over here. There are people whose gift is giving, and it's, they're talking about finances here, giving lots and lots of money, and they love it. They're good at making money, and they're good at giving it away. You know what? There's also people who have the gift of giving who aren't good at making money, but out of their poverty, a rich generosity wells up within them. It's a gift to be able to give and smile and let go. You can always tell 
people who don't have the gift of giving. They have the gift of making a bunch of money, and they give it and try to use it to control things. That is of the flesh and of the devil. The ability to let go and love watching what God and his people do with it, that's of the Holy Spirit. Message of special knowledge. Maybe I should have put that on the ecstatic uh, side of things because it's a whole lot more like prophecy. Um, come to think of it, it is. It's just, it's a lot like prophecy. It's this, it's this gift by God's Holy Spirit, a message that the church needs to hear in timely fashion. I think that happens sometimes from the pulpit with pastors, and it sometimes happens. I've recognized it a couple of times when Millie McGarry, standing, sitting right back over there, has stood up in between songs or an offering or something and said, Pastor, and then she addresses the congregation. And I always just assume that was from God's Holy Spirit that day. Listen, don't get any bright ideas. <laughs> don't get any bright ideas, but if the Holy Spirit gives them to you and you know it, it's for the body. Finally, helping others, it doesn't just mean like, you know, helping somebody uh, change their flat tire on the side of the road, though it can mean that. I see the helping ministries uh, at work in this church as one of the primary evidences of the presence of the Spirit of God, and it's one of the things that drew me to you in the beginning. Kathy sent me pictures yesterday. Uh, Kathy and Dwayne had to move. How many trucks? Nine trucks showed up two trailers, and only the Lord himself knows how many people. Because they said, help? That's my thing. And with great joy, they flooded in over there at the Joneses' place and, and helped by the power of the Spirit. Now, anybody could do it, right? But when it's done with power and with joy, it's the telltale signs of God's Holy Spirit. Many times, those who have the helping gifts help Others who are leading these other things. They're the people who just say, I don't want any credit. Don't make me stand up in front of the congregation. But if you need help with anything, my answer is yes. And I'm not going to mention their names right now because they're the people who said, I don't want any credit. I don't want any attention. But you know who they are, right? Yeah. So get this and we're done. The Holy Spirit has decided in working with each of you that there will be people, multiple, in this church who, with gifts from God, help others, offer wise counsel. A handful of people will have the gift of giving, and they will disproportionately finance the ministry around here and, and around the world. There will be people who are kind when you don't deserve it, and you can tell they're not faking it. Thanks be to God that he has gifted people with kindness in this church. There'll be some who teach, there'll be some who lead, there'll be some who dare to speak for God with all the marks of authenticity. There will be those who just serve and serve and serve and serve, and others who find a way to tell everybody who messes up how awesome they are. Go to the screen before that, Luke. There will be people who, by the help of God, speak the word of truth that corrects us as we go. And I don't know if this will happen because if it happens by the power of God's Holy Spirit, it will probably happen in obedience to his word, which says, not in public. But my guess is, he's already gifted some of you in that way. You've just been worried because you're Nazarene. Let anybody know it. 
And there are some who are saying, what are we waiting for? Of course God's going to do it. Because they've been given the gift of great faith. Can you imagine what might happen if you took your one or two gifts and said, all I have to do is find somebody within the church who can benefit from them. All I have to do is find a ministry where I can plug in and I will let God's Holy Spirit go and leave the consequences up to him. Can you imagine what this place would look like? I'd like to quit imagining it. See, when we practice these gifts, Jesus and his kingdom look incredible. They look awesome. They look extraordinary. They look powerful. They look inviting. And this whole business of following him suddenly seems worth it. See, a bunch of your friends, they think that what we do, it's not worth it. It's not worth giving up a Sunday morning. It's not worth giving up 10% of your income. It's not worth all the, the headaches and the heartaches that come along with getting close enough to people that they can hurt you and disappoint you. They look at us and they say, well, it's not worth it. But a church that allows God's Holy Spirit to do his thing instead of trying to muscle it by their own fleshly strength suddenly becomes the visible evidence of the glory of God. And he looks beautiful, and following him seems worth it. Maybe your friends, maybe your family don't follow Jesus because they've never seen the Holy Spirit go big yet in this church. Maybe we've, we've made it look like a whole bunch of human effort and, and work. And it just doesn't seem worth it. They, they already have things that take a lot of work in their lives. And that's not what we're talking about here, about taking an assignment from God and doing it. We're talking about letting God create in you that version of himself that he was dreaming of when he dreamed you into existence long ago, breathing his life and his spirit into you and watching you go. John Wesley, our forebear in the faith, said about 250 years ago, catch fire and people will come for miles to watch you burn. On the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit was given to everybody, he showed up in a visible form. You know what it was? Fire. Catch fire. People will come for miles to watch you burn. Stand with me. Lord, we would like to catch fire. I want you to light us up. I want you to, I want you to come and do something by your spirit that is so obviously not of, of human flesh. We want to be something more around here than pooled human effort. We want this church to genuinely be born of the Spirit of God. Holy Spirit, where there is sin that has kept you from having full reign in our lives, we invite you, come and identify it. We will confess it and ask forgiveness, and you can cleanse us of it by the blood of Jesus. And 
with that cleared path, we then invite you, Holy Spirit, run headlong into and through our lives. As we pause for just one moment before you, would you speak to each person in this congregation one gift that you've given them that you want them to to begin to practice in the light of day? We listen for your voice. Your word tells us not to quench the Holy Spirit, to not, to not put out the fire. He's trying to light in us. So Lord, as we, as we contemplate these good things that you're doing in us and that you want to do through us, our commitment to you is that what you have said, this we will do. We will not quench your spirit. So with the guarantee of good fuel around here, together we invite your Holy Spirit to begin waking up the gifts that you've given to us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thanks for your time and your attention today. Listen, uh, two things that I want you to take home. One is last week's um, gifts of the Spirit. Remember, Last week, we listened for his voice, and we're going to allow God's Holy Spirit to, to work up the, the fruits of the Spirit among us. And, the, and then today, if he whispered to you a gift and you're wondering, I want to ask you to pray about that. And if you have any questions, contact me. I'd love to talk with you about, about the unique you that God is creating by his Holy Spirit. Go in peace. Amen.